Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Today's revelation, and this companion podcast, titled The Skiers Who Changed Skiing, pays homage to skiing history. With the kind assistance of Seth Mejia, president of the International Skiing History Association and America's foremost ski historian, I've compiled a list of the ten individuals without whom alpine skiing might never have survived as a sport. The names on this list are most likely unfamiliar to you, not because the exploits and inventions aren't worthy of your attention, but because they transpired in the misty past and our culture can barely remember yesterday. So, dear listeners, let's recognize the largely unsung heroes without whose contributions you might not ever have skied. Without further ado, let's dive into the skiers who change skiing. When present-day skiers ponder which skiers have had the most influence on alpine skiing as it's practiced today, they may conjure up images of Stein Erikson, Jean-Claude Killy, or Shane McConkie, each icons of recent epochs in the evolution of our sport. If you're an equipment buff, you might mention Bob Lang, Howard Head, or Sven Coomer, a tireless innovator whose work is still evident in every modern boot design. Coomer, by the way, has finally earned induction into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame, recognition that is long overdue. May I humbly extend, on behalf of all skiers, my deepest appreciation for all he has done for skiing. If you fancy pioneers in technique, you can cite the contributions of Georges Joubert, Warren Witherall, or Cliff Taylor, to name a few who moved the needle in this arena. You could also make a list of influencers in ski resort development, ski media, and any and all forms of competition. As deserving of mention as these skiing heroes are, they are all in debt to earlier groundbreakers whose names are likely as unfamiliar to you, dear listener, as the times they lived in. In any historical retrospective, there can only be one first, someone who made the next step forward possible. This revelation is meant as a reminder that ours is not the only generation who has achieved anything of consequence. Your esteemed editor is as prone to historical myopia as the next boomer, so I turned to Seth Mejia, president of the International Skiing History Association and the premier preservationist of our sport's authenticated record. Mejia provided me with an extensive reading list, an abundantly annotated timeline, and a deeper appreciation for the pioneers who made alpine skiing possible. Before I unveil my slightly tweaked take on Mejia's list of skiing's quintessential founders, allow me a moment to endorse ISHA's efforts in preserving ski history. Full disclosure, I occasionally contribute to Skiing History magazine, for whom I consider it an honor to write. ISHA is a non-profit, and its work depends very much on the support of skiers like you, dear listener. If you are in a position to join the association and read its magazine, Skiing History, please do so. All links in the accompanying revelation are to Skiing History assets. Here are my ISHA-inspired picks as the top 10 skiers who change skiing, visionaries whose inventions and or advancements in technique laid the foundation for what we know today as alpine skiing. At the top of our list is a Norwegian named Sondre Norheim. When you can claim to have made the first modern ski, and get this, with both camber and side cut right from the get-go, and the first binding, complete with a flexible heel strap, no, it doesn't look much like today's bindings, but it looks like it'll hold you to a ski, 
plus the first two distinct turning techniques, which were called the Telemark and the Christiana. And on top of all that, you were a badass skier who trounced the field at the 1868 National Championships despite being 42 years old and competing against skiers 20 years his junior. If you've done all that, you've earned the right to be at the top of this list. He was skiing's first star athlete, inspiring thousands of Norwegians to take up the sport. Second on my list is someone who lives in Sondre Norheim's shadow to some degree, but I think is no less important, for he created something without which we would not be able to ski at all. His name is Rudolf Lettner. There are many viable candidates for number two on this list, but I'm going to go with the guy who came up with segmented steel edges, patented by Rudolf Lettner in 1926. Three years later, an 18-year-old instructor named Tony Silos, who was also on this list, used a set of Lettner's edges to win a slalom by five seconds. Within a year, steel edges were deemed essential equipment if you wanted to compete. They still are. Next on my list, number three, is Guido Rugi. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Guido. Before you quibble over this pick of someone else you've never heard of, consider that Rugi's Kandahar binding was the first to effectively keep the boot heel pinned to the ski, a sea change that, along with the steel edge, made modern ski technique possible. The Kandahar also used a steel cable, not leather, to wrap behind the heel, and it was locked in place by a Bildstein lever. With Norheim's shaped skis, Lettner's steel edges, and Rugi's sidewall clips that routed the cable below the heel, all the elements that make the modern carve turn possible were in place. Next on my list is Walter Amstutz. The contributions of Walter Amstutz were multidisciplinary, connecting the worlds of design, technique, and competition. He was the first to address the absence of adequate heel hold by creating the Amstutz spring, a rear-mounted coil connecting the boot to the ski. Racers at the time would reinforce it with pieces of inner tube to make it even stiffer. In his role as founder of the Swiss Academic Ski Club, he convinced the FIS to sanction alpine skiing as a legitimate sport with its own world championships and Olympic eligibility, certainly a turning point in modern skiing. Next on the list is the better-known Sir Arnold Lunn. He wrote the first rule book for downhill and slalom racing, setting the stage for all future alpine events. He was also one who insisted on using timing, that it would be the fastest person down, not someone who was simply more elegant or making better figures, as the first slalom races, in fact, were not timed events. Along with Amstutz, Sir Arnold Lund convinced the FIS to recognize alpine skiing. He also founded the Kandahar Ski Club and the Kandahar Trophy Series, which continues to this day. Knighted for his contributions to British skiing, Sir Arnold is widely regarded as the inventor of modern alpine ski racing. Next on the list is the first physical embodiment of all these brilliant new technologies. New technologies enable new techniques, and the first skier to take full advantage of edges that held on hard snow and heels that didn't elevate was an Austrian named Tony Silos. The first time he raced using his newly devised carved parallel turn, he won a local slalom by five seconds. Then he won the two-run slalom at the FIS World Championships by nine seconds. If you can't recall his brilliant racing career, it's because he immediately turned to coaching, where he was a super-spreader of parallel turn technique. His disciples include Crystal Kranz, Franz Fneur, Tony Mott, Emile Allais, and a name you should remember, Andrea Mead Lawrence. 
Next on my list is someone particularly close to my heart, Ernst Constant. Much as I love sliding downhill, I dislike climbing uphill, which makes Ernst Constant my personal favorite on this list. Constant invented the J-Bar surface lift, which morphed into the double-capacity T-Bar, making it affordable to install uphill transportation on countless venues worldwide. I grew up on Big Bromley, Vermont, home to some of the first J-Bars, so they're very close to my heart. Bromley is also where I was obliged to climb for my skiing between the ages of five and nine, which had the effect of scarring me for life, and probably why I despise uphill climbing ever since. Next on the list is Walter Koffler. Once Dr. Walter Koffler industrialized his patent for, quote, a ski base made of fabric laminated polyethylene, christened with the brand name Kofix in 1954, the course was set towards the universal adoption of polyethylene that we see today. The riddle that Koffler solved was how to heat bond cotton to slippery strips of polyethylene so they would adhere to wood or metal. When Kessley and Kneisel athletes skiing for Austria and Switzerland used some of the first PE-based skis at the 1956 Cortina Olympics, they took home 12 of the 18 medals, including Tony Seiler's three goals, firmly establishing the material's dominance. But when Koufax's Swiss licensee, Montana, introduced PTEX in 1964, the end was nigh for Koufax. The nail in its coffin was PTEX 2000, the first sintered PE, introduced by Montana in 1966. Today, there isn't a modern ski that doesn't have a polyethylene base, a legacy as enduring as any of our favorite founders. The next of whom was Matthias Zdarsky. I hope again I'm not mangling your last name, Matthias. Considered by many to be the father of alpine skiing, Zdarsky was a tireless apostle for the fledgling sport. Along with many other accomplishments, he founded the first Alpine Ski School in 1897, he wrote the first influential instruction manual, concocted hundreds of iterations of his binding design, trained the Austrian army to ski, and founded the first slalom competition in 1905. That event was more a test of survival on the equipment that they were using in those days, rather than a matter of technique. And interestingly, it wasn't a timed event. It was more a matter of safety and demonstrating that you could get down the course. Judged solely by his impact on skiing's early development, Zdarsky would be near the top of this list, but he never adapted his instruction method to include the use of two poles, dooming it to extinction. And finally on our list, Hjalmar Chavam. The original toe irons that retained a leather mountaineering boot had no release capability other than product failure. Estimated injury rates ran to a withering 10% of the ski population, a staggering figure. One of the injured was a young Norwegian emigre, Hjalmar Chavam, a trained mechanical draftsman as well as a brilliant racer and ski shop owner. His spiral fracture inspired him to tinker with toe iron designs, eventually leading to the first releasable toe piece in 1937. After World War II, European inventors Jean Bell and Hannes Marker would create releasable toes of their own, opening the floodgates of creativity. There were 35 binding brands sold in the U.S. during the 1950s, just to put that in context. As new designs achieved greater market acceptance, Havam's toe piece drifted into irrelevance and his company into eventual insolvency. But advancements in binding design inspired by Havam's invention, in conjunction with boot sole standardization, would lead to the virtual elimination of the sort of fracture that had set these wheels in motion. This is by no means a complete list of skiing's original influencers. 
To learn more about skiing's origins, I urge you to subscribe to Skiing History and donate to ISHA. Skiing History is unique among print publications devoted to skiing in that it is written by actual journalists and historians. Compared to the swamp of swill infesting the internet in the guise of winter sports journalism, skiing history is like a breath of fresh mountain air. Follow the links in today's companion revelation to read examples of its fine work. Now that we've given the founders of alpine skiing a bit of what they're due, let's turn our collective attention to the skiing boom that followed the end of World War II. Which skiers have had the most impact on our sport in the post-war era? We'll post a potpourri of possibilities in next week's sure-to-be-controversial revelation. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.